the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Happy Monday morning and welcome to another episode of the Jenna Ellis Show. And there is so much going on since Friday. Of course, the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict uh, was reached and handed down Friday afternoon. Like if you listen to my good friend Dan Bongino, we actually talked about that live on air just moments after the verdict was reached. And I had called into his show earlier in the week. Uh, basically predicting that the jury was going to hand down a verdict sometime Friday because juries just in the attitude that uh, they have, they are tired, they go through all of this, they're likely not going to want to go through the weekend and have to come back Monday morning. So this was very clear in terms of self-defense, but they had to go through five different charges. And uh, how that happened, of course, you know, the mainstream media and all of the leftists, all of these people who are into this racist narrative, uh, they're all saying this was a, a miscarriage of justice. They really mean social justice. But that narrative through the weekend was going to have to change. And the thing that I said on Friday with my good friend Dan was watch the mainstream media is going to change the narrative sometime Sunday for Monday morning. So here we are on Monday. And that's what we're going to talk about today is self-defense. I have a great, great guest today that is going to uh, join me here in a minute. But friends, I also want to talk about legacy precious metals before we get into all that, because we've seen a total failure of government. The botched exit from Afghanistan makes us less safe than we have been in years. Disastrous economic policies have inflation soaring, and your freedoms and liberties are at risk with outrageous government overreach, the closing of businesses, and mandates that violate our U.S. Constitution. We are in the midst of a failed presidency, and we're seeing things get worse. So now is the time for Americans to take steps to protect our finances and retirements. When times are turbulent, you need an asset that protects you and offers a hedge against inflation protecting you from the volatile financial markets. That's why I believe in investing in gold and trust my friends at Legacy Precious Metals. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-528-1903. That's 866-528-1903. And their team of experts has decades of experience helping Americans like you and me make the right decision for ourselves and our families. So visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com and you can download their free investor's guide. So as we have seen the mainstream media shift with this narrative, we saw how they were absolutely appalled and outraged and triggered and screaming at the sky that Kyle Rittenhouse was actually found not guilty on the basis of self-defense. So what happened last night? An absolute tragedy where this SUV drives down a street with a crowd that is in the middle of a Christmas parade and plows over at least 40 people. We've learned this morning that at least five people, including children, we don't know uh, who exactly has died yet, um, but at least five people have died that can possibly include children. And what is the mainstream media doing? Well, we know at this point that the driver was a black man and they are now claiming 
that this guy who ran over at least 40 people, including a dozen children, was at the Christmas parade and ran over these people because, what, he was fleeing from a knife fight? They are now asking this question, well, why not self-defense for him? And look at you hypocrite conservatives who are lauding this idea of self-defense in our rule of law. And we have lauded the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict because it was the correct verdict as a matter of fact and law based on a jury who, by the way, this jury was so courageous because they had all of the intense pressure from the national media, from the world's eyes were watching this trial. They stood up to the elitist narrative and they said, we are going to do the right thing and we are going to make a finding of fact based on the evidence presented at trial and not just go with the pressure from the outside media and from all of these people who are calling for bloodshed. They actually said, no, this was a clear case of self-defense. So how now on Monday morning is the mainstream media and the left is trying to spin this? They are trying to say that self-defense now is a wildly absurd conclusion and that it was bad in the Rittenhouse case because look at this guy who is a black man, by the way, so that they can now bring the racist card into it. And they can say, look, you guys who you conservatives who are lauding self-defense, look at this guy now who was clearly running from a knife fight. And you're not going to give him a black man the same consideration and the same hero status mowing down children at a Christmas parade that you gave Kyle Rittenhouse. Do you see what they're doing? They are trying to take and manipulate the narrative and they are trying to put conservatives and the rule of law back in a defensive posture because the rule of law won on Friday. Conservatism won. Now, I am not a fan at all of making Kyle Rittenhouse a political hero. Whatever his political concerns are, even if he voted for Joe Biden, I, I couldn't care less. That's not the point. Um, you're going to see tonight, Tucker Carlson, good friend of mine, has and who I think is one of the greatest journalists right now in mainstream media, he has the exclusive interview with Kyle tonight. Mediaite, some of these other leftist uh, publications who are trying to spin the narrative, they are taking bits and pieces of what has already been previewed of the Rittenhouse interview. And they're saying, look, Kyle said that he's in support of BLM. Look at you conservatives who lauded him as your hero. Well, he's in support of BLM. What does that tell you? Well, all that that says is Kyle is an 18-year-old kid who has some political opinions. I don't care if he's a Democrat. I don't care if he's a leftist. I don't care if he voted for Joe Biden. In terms of the verdict, conservatism, the rule of law, matters and was victorious. And Kyle Rittenhouse, for being a defendant in a criminal trial under due process in America, achieved the right victory for the process. I don't care about anything else about him. That's why we need to be careful to not suddenly laud these people who who stand for one idea and just all of a sudden make him into a hero in every other political capacity before we even know. So I've seen some people, even good friends of mine, who've promoted these memes that are saying 
put Kyle Rittenhouse as a replacement for General Milley. He could be the, you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And I'm thinking, okay, one, he's 18, so calm down. But two, we have no idea his politics. And again, I don't care. He is not a champion of conservative politics. His case is an example of the rule of law and that we all need to champion because the rule of law matters. The legal process matters. And the fact that he had a right to self-defense and was lawfully acting that night in Kenosha, that's what matters. And that's all this case was about. And so if you look at things like GoFundMe, for instance, where they're trying to now backpedal and they're saying, oh, well, you know, we're, we didn't want um, any any uh, GoFundMe uh, for any of the legal fees for anyone who is alleged to have committed a violent crime. Well, so is GoFundMe basically saying we don't believe in the presumption of innocence? The whole entire point of having to have a GoFundMe for legal counsel is so that you can mount a competent legal defense for people like Kyle, who had to have competent counsel to get to the correct verdict. That's the whole basis of a trial. So you're seeing mainstream media, you're seeing these private companies that are trying to change the narrative. And what they're doing today and what they'll continue to do through this week is try to put conservatives on the defense and give us the most outrageous example possible and say, oh, look, if you think that Kyle was justified in self-defense, now you got to give this guy who ran over children at a Christmas parade self-defense and you've got to defend him on that same basis. Otherwise, guess what? You're a racist because he's black. Do you see how they're trying to spend this? And it's absolutely absurd. So we need to talk about the true nature of self-defense. And there is no better person to do this than a very, very dear friend of mine who actually, and, and you guys, you know, Wall Street Journal doesn't actually cover everything. Um, they never cover you know, anything about anybody's uh, actual background. And, you know, I actually had a life before I I went to Washington and started working for President Trump. And uh, one of my very good friends who I've known for a decade, um, I was actually an intern for him at the Colorado Attorney General's office right out of law school. Um, He's been a great friend of mine. He used to be a prosecutor, obviously, in the, uh, the Colorado AG's office, served his country in the JAG Corps, and is now one of the best criminal defense attorneys in all of the land, but especially in the land of Colorado, my good Thanks, friend, Jenna. Mike Melito. Thanks, Jenna. Yeah. Thanks for having me as a guest. Appreciate Absolutely. It. We've been wanting to do this for a while. We have. And, um, and I'm actually, you know, here in person with you. It's so great to see you. And, um, and I wanted to bring you on today specifically to talk about self-defense as a legal concept and what people, I think even conservatives are missing about this whole idea. So talk to me about the actual legal definition of self-defense and how people should understand this separate and apart from mainstream media. Absolutely. So Jenna, one of the things I want to do is kind of take you and your guests and your audience rather into, uh, into trial. And I think it's a good topic to start with simply because when a jury is judging you and whether or not you committed a certain set of acts and then have a complete defense to those acts like Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, because you can say, hey, I was acting in self-defense. What that jury is going to be instructed is, number one, was it reasonable? So they're going to look at the reasonableness of the person's actions, but they're going to be narrowed down. And, And I think this is very important to understand because we lose a lot in this just whirlwind of of media falsehoods 
we lose a lot of what happened at the moment. And the thing that the media really wasn't giving people a fair shake either way. So whether it's this, this man who had this tragedy happen where he ran over several people in Wisconsin, we'll find out. But we got to give him the presumption of innocence the same way nobody gave Kyle Rittenhouse the chance of the presumption of innocence. And so I think what you want to look at is what is happening in the exact moment that that person acting in self-defense and let's just jump to a deadly force. How are they perceiving the events going on around them? How are they perceiving an attack from one, two, three different places, which can be happening all at once. So let, let's start with the easy one. There was a gentleman who got shot in the arm. What did he testify to? Ultimately, and I'm going to summarize here, ultimately he testified to pointing a gun at Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, for anyone who served their military, for anyone who served their country as, as an officer of the law, um, or anyone else who acted as an armed security guard, they would understand that a weapon pointed at you is a dangerous thing. So even if um, the gentleman who pointed the, the weapon, the handgun, at Kyle Rittenhouse meant no harm for him, he's still sending a very clear and very dangerous message <laughs> that I'm pointing the business end of a weapon that can kill you at you. So when... Rittenhouse is deciding, do I shoot? He's lawfully entitled to do so. Why? Because that individual's weapon is about to sweep him. And by sweep, that's kind of a military term or it's a law enforcement term. If someone is waiting for you to pull a trigger and then shoot back, that, that's, got, that's Russia. That's not the United <laughs> States, okay? We, we are built on the premise of we don't have to wait for someone to have risked our lives. Um, we don't have to wait for someone to have pulled the trigger before we're allowed to defend ourselves. We can preemptively stop a person. Mm -hmm. So if the average American just sat back, ignored the echo chamber of the left, and said, what was Kyle Rittenhouse staring at the exact moment that that trigger was pulled for that one man? Mm -hmm. He was staring at the end of the barrel it's either in his face or it's moving towards him. He need not wait to risk losing his life before defending his own. And you know what I think is really fascinating about that picture that you just painted, Mike, is the prosecutor just totally irresponsibly and shockingly at one point during his closing argument actually picked up Kyle's AR-15 and with his finger on the trigger, points it at the jury. Now, I've never, because I haven't done military service like you have, um, like others who are listening, um, I have never stared down the barrel of an AR-15. Um, I have been to gun ranges, I've been, you know, but it's all very controlled environments, right? And for the jury to be sitting there, that, that likely, for most people, was the first time they actually had an AR-15 pointed at them. They probably in that moment go, Oh my gosh, like even knowing it's a controlled environment, you still have the business end of a weapon pointed at you. That probably didn't help his case no. very much to put the no. jurors like going, whoa, I'm feeling that as well. When, when I was a young soldier and, and doing courts martial, one of the first lessons that they imparted in, in our trainings was 
never point a weapon at the panel. And, and a panel <laughs> is just military fancy talk for a jury. So never point a weapon at a jury certainly holds true to this very day. And so I think that was just a, a, a cardinal sin. And one of the rules of handling a weapon is don't point the weapon at anything you don't want to destroy. It's a common refrain amongst folks in the military. It's a common refrain against just folks who have a weapon. And it's pretty simple. That was a colossal error on the part of the prosecutor amongst many. Yes, so many. And uh, and I'm talking with my good friend, Mike Molito, who is one of the best lawyers that I know. Um, And and I know a a lot of really, really smart lawyers. Um, And, you know, and Mike has experience in this. And, uh, you know, you are a practicing defense attorney now and, um, you know, been in front of so many juries. So, you know, you understand this from a from um, a not only a legal but a practical perspective, and so as you're talking about the, the difference between, you know, what Rittenhouse was entitled to, and the facts, as you said, are developing. You know, this is less than 24 hours later when we're talking about this guy um, driving the SUV in uh, in Wisconsin, and what the mainstream media is reporting is, again, I think they are jumping the narrative and they're trying to get ahead of this because like what they did with Kyle saying this couldn't possibly be self-defense and they were painting this picture, now they're trying to force us to compare apples to oranges and say, well, if you believed that the verdict was correct in Kyle's case, you have to subscribe to self-defense because reports are he was you know, going, he was fleeing this knife fight. So just for argument's sake, let's say that as facts continue to develop, hypothetically, the facts end up showing that at some point before this guy hits these people in the crowd, he's in his car and he's now fleeing a knife fight. How does this equal in any way possible self-defense? Because he's not in the moment. So is there is there any comparison here or is the left just trying to BS us into having to defend the idea of self-defense? And that's I mean, that's obviously what I think. Yeah. (laughs) And and I I find myself almost in stunned silence because, yes, that's exactly what they're (laughs) trying to do. Um, We could hypothesize all day long. And, you know, right now we don't know enough of the facts Um, if the individual was being shot at. And he's trying to weave his car away and he's and he's being you know, he's focused on the moment, he's focused on what is behind him, in front of him, or whatever shooting at him, then absolutely him driving erratically, him driving through a crowd, it might not be intentional. It might be something that is just a, a tragedy upon tragedy. So the the important message I think here is we gotta wait and see. The justice system moves slow for a reason. It allows us to kind of calm our passions down. It allows uh, uh, 12 Americans to sit there and say, let us review the facts. Let us take a good detached look at this and see whether or not the individual is acting in Mm self-defense. So right now we don't have a bunch of information. There's too much missing. We could certainly hypothesize and say, all right, well, what happened? A A knife fight doesn't seem like that concept we're looking for of imminence. Right. Right? It it sounds like he's gone from that imminent moment, moment of harm. Mm-hmm. And, and I could throw in a butt with a hypothetical. But what if he was racing to a hospital because he himself was stabbed? 
Mm-hmm. We don't know. What if it was a loss of blood that made him unable to see the people in front of him? We don't know. Let's not rush to judgment. See, this is a good defense attorney, guys. You know, right. he's, he's throwing all of these things in there that we actually don't know. And when I first on this show, um, the very first day of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, I actually said, and you can go back and, and listen to that, not many episodes ago. You know, this is very recent. Um, I said, we have to wait and see what facts and evidence actually come out at trial. Because even though, yeah, a lot of us have seen the video, a lot of us have seen other things, there could be reasons why the video isn't admissible for certain reasons. And so the jury has to make their findings just based on the evidence presented at trial. Nothing that has been said or hypothesized in the media. They have to set all of their bias aside and look just at the facts. So so there are so many unknowns here. Uh, But the point is, the media is trying to now jump very quickly to equating the two. And and I remember as as a very young prosecutor, one of the first um, cases that I ever was in court prosecuting uh, was a was a DUI that um, the alleged uh, you know the, or, the, or the defendant alleged that um, that they were acting in self defense escaping a, a domestic violence situation right and so it was kind of the same thing where uh, the, the the defense was not saying in any way that um, that their client wasn't driving under the influence. It was, but it was justified under the law, right? So what I did as a prosecutor, and ultimately, you know, there was a conviction in this case, which I think was proper, was that I showed that this person had stopped multiple times at multiple locations after leaving the domestic violence situation. So even taking that, like, okay, we're going to say that the defendant is completely telling the truth on all of that. There was a domestic violence situation, had to get away, Well, the law only allows you to get away. It's that imminency that Mike just mentioned. And so when we have receipts and video showing that half an hour later, you know, made a stop at this convenience store and, you know, purchased uh, a drink and a snack at that point, then continuing on. And Mike is laughing here and I love this. I wish you guys could see this because now to say that somehow they're an imminent threat and they're fleeing the situation. But I was really hungry. Exactly. Right. So um, and we actually literally had my, my cop in this case was so great, actually had pictures of this cinnamon roll that was like half eaten in the car on I'm the way. I'm so pro cinnamon roll. It's not even funny. <laughs> yes, I am too. And, and and the the actual place that the defendant purchased the cinnamon roll, they're good. I've had them. Okay. <laughs> it's like fantastic. So yeah, so, the, so but the jury actually had this same reaction where they're laughing by the end of it, just going, this is such a ridiculous hypothesis that anyone reasonably knows. And there's that reasonability standard that, okay, even if you take the defendant at their word, yeah, I had to get away from this situation. That doesn't justify you driving drunk for the rest of the night. And it doesn't justify you. I mean, it only justifies you. The law only justifies you to get away quickly. And then you stop and you say, okay, I'm away. And then that you are no longer under imminent threat of serious bodily harm or your life or, you know, whatever you're claiming is your self-defense. So ultimately the conviction in that case was justified based on the facts at trial. So for the media, Mike, to try to compare these two and to even say, so let's just hypothesize and say, so for example, after this investigation, this alleged knife fight happened five miles away, then 
in my mind, that doesn't justify. And let's say there isn't any reason he had to go to the yeah. hospital. There isn't any right. other sort of, um, you know, concurrent attenuating circumstance. Then in that case, this is why self-defense and the actual facts matter. And conservatives need to not be put on the defensive in saying that we still absolutely understand that self-defense is reasonable given the circumstances and given um, the actual facts at issue. We can't just equate, well, hey, because Kyle got off. No, that means that anybody claiming self-defense, you conservatives have to advocate for. That is a false premise. Right. Absolutely. And, and digging into the facts, I think, are what great lawyers do. Uh, a buddy of mine who I served with for many, many years in the military, um, we kind of had this phrase between one another, and it was simple. It was, lawyers don't win cases. We only lose them. So we had the attitude of the facts were the facts. A lawyer was there to develop the case and try to promote their particular side, whether it was an advocate for the government or whether it was an, as an advocate for the individual who was accused. And so if you, if you go to the Rittenhouse example and you take the gentleman who was, who's now deceased, hit him in the head with a skateboard, let's all pause on that for a moment and say, would you willingly take a shot or two to the head with a hammer? And the answer is no, because it could very well kill you or uh, create a scenario where you receive serious bodily injury. Mm -hmm. And these are things that you're allowed to defend your life with, with deadly force. And so in that same moment, Mr. Rittenhouse is jumping from uh, being attacked. He's being attacked in a fashion that could render him comatose or dead. And here's another important thing, too, that the media on, on both sides picked up on. The people who were killed and the people who were hurt by Rittenhouse really didn't have squeaky clean backgrounds, right? We had some horrible-looking folks, quite frankly. So the optics for the prosecutors, quite frankly, weren't good. I think one of them was a child molester or, or had some yeah. sort of sex assault crime. Mm -hmm. Another had been a... Um, a felony burglar, had probation violation, carried illegal weapons, which is an entirely separate show we should all <laughs> right. talk about in the future. But these folks, at the moment in time that Kyle Rittenhouse is defending himself, he doesn't know these people. I don't, I don't think there's been any evidence that has said he's known any of these people. He's staring in a quickly unfolding situation. He's a young man at the age of 17 at the time. And He's not sitting there going, gee, I wonder if this guy had committed acts of domestic violence or abuse on a child, or I wonder if he's a felony burglar. Mm -hmm. So for each and every one of these people who died, it's what they're doing at that exact moment right in front of them. Mm -hmm. And so the media on both sides mentioned sort of the unclean backgrounds of these guys. And what does that indicate? For the person like Kyle Rittenhouse who's in the moment trying to decide whether or not to use deadly force to defend himself, their personal histories mean nothing. Mm -hmm. It's the 30 seconds, the 15 seconds, the 5 seconds before they strike or they make a move against him that matters. Mm -hmm. So why do you think the prosecutor didn't object to their backgrounds coming into this? I mean, that to me was I found it shocking. strange. Um what you could do as a strategy maybe would be, and this is just kind of off the top of my head, is 
if you realize the defense counsel is going down the path of villainizing these people because of their really unrelated backgrounds, in a manner of speaking, you can come back and say, did Kyle Rittenhouse know this at that exact moment? He's, then you would make him into that judge, jury, and executioner mm-hmm. that they were trying to paint him as. So you, could, you could spin it and villainize it, wait for the defense to fall into the trap. Mm-hmm. So in reality, I, I don't know why the prosecutor didn't try to keep that out. I would have assumed that would have been a, a motion in lemonade or some other motion in advance um, because these are all the things that an individual has to know right. before being able to assert and And what you're saying, Mike, I mean, this... It was totally irrelevant, just like it would have been totally irrelevant if these guys were actually the saints that the leftist media is now trying to portray them as. If, Mm -hmm. you know, this was, um, you know, if they were guys that volunteered at their local PTA meeting every Friday and they were, you know, they've given thousands of dollars to, you know, PETA or Mm -hmm. they or, you know, they donate blood or they, you know, or they were a first responder, you know, on the lines of, I mean, yeah, like all this stuff. Does that matter at the moment in time that this trial was about? And the answer is absolutely not. All that matters is what an objective, reasonable person in the same or similar circumstances as Kyle Rittenhouse would understand that threat to be. Exactly. And, and, you know, when you have somebody who is pointing a gun at you or doing that sweep, as you talked about, you don't have to wait for them to punch you again. You don't have to use your fists like some of these, uh, what these prosecutors were claiming. It it was absurd, and they were falsely representing and misstating the law on on those points. And so the greater point, I think, um, Mike, that you've articulated throughout the show that is really important is how much it matters to understand why the law allows self-defense, what that actually means, and what is materially relevant to the trial. Now, that's a legal term, but relevancy is so critical to actually getting to the right verdict because so much of what the media says just doesn't matter. I mean, so much of this conjecture, sure, for the court of public opinion, it's inflaming and impassioning our emotions to like or hate Kyle, to like or hate uh, the alleged victims, to like or hate the political consequences, the fallout, to be concerned that there might be more riots and violence if the verdict goes another direction. None of that matters to the five seconds or so in question here. And um, in, in the last few minutes that we have here, Mike, I want to talk to you about how important it is um, for jury selection to get into kind of the psyche of what people think. And so I want to talk to you about that um, in just a second. But before we get to that, I also want to talk about another great citizen out there, our good friend, Mike Lindell. All of you out there know that MyPillow doesn't have their box stores or any of their shopping channels because they haven't been part of this cancel culture. And Mike is a patriot. He has been standing on the front lines of uh, defending President Trump. He has um, simply been standing up for uh, his own opinions. And just on the basis of being a conservative, he has been canceled. And so he has to now pass on his savings and he is going to pass that on directly to you because he has been canceled out of these box stores. But you can still go to MyPillow.com and you can get the lowest price in the history of MyPillow for their classic standard MyPillow, regularly $69.98, now only $19.98 with 
promo code Jenna. So I am so proud of my friend Mike Lindell for being a sponsor of this show. So as you are thinking about Christmas, as you are looking at um, making your purchases and uh, you know making sure to, to support great candidates, by the way, um, definitely support great candidates, but support great patriots like Mike Lindell. And you can do that by using promo code Jenna at MyPillow.com. You can also call one 800 564 8475. Use the promo code Jenna, that's J-E-N-N-A, to take advantage of Mike's special offer on his standard MyPillow. So in the last few minutes I have here with yet another Mike, um, there's so many Mikes in my life. All of all of my Mikes are you know, great, great friends. And Mike Molito is one of those. He's a great defense attorney, a former prosecutor. I used to be his intern at the Colorado AG's office. I learned so much of uh, my uh, legal perspective, understanding the interests of justice uh, from Mike. And um, Mike, you've been a part of so many different trials, both on the prosecution side and the defense and jury selection, as you've always told me, and I've seen in in the trials, um, both on prosecution and defense that I've been a part of, jury selection is actually the most critical point uh, of the entire trial. And it's funny to me how in the entertainment world, you rarely see jury selection even mentioned. It's all about, you know, the gotcha moments at trial, all the stuff that we wish actually happened in real trials. <laughs> but um, but talk about jury selection and the psyche that goes into this and kind of give people this insider's view of a couple of things you've learned throughout your trial experience. Absolutely. So jury selection is really an art form. Um, you'll run across sort of your your person who doesn't bother to connect with the jury and the person who's just looking to get some canned answers out of that jury. And for those of you who have who've performed your jury service, thank you very much. It's one of those things that a lot of my friends, unfortunately, say, hey, Melito, how do I get out of serving on a jury? And I try to encourage them to actually serve on a jury because it's you want good folks. You want intelligent folks. You want people who are going to pay attention. And so those are the things that you're trying to figure out in that jury. Can you get rid of any of their preconceived notions that can harm your case? So by way of example, I would imagine I didn't get to see jury selection in the Rittenhouse matter. But I would imagine a lot of those uh, questions that are being lobbed to the jurors are, are done so in a fashion to, one, allow them to speak candidly and freely. Number two, um, you kind of want to get a flavor for where they sit on critical issues. Are they going to be a person who's maybe a pacifist, a person who might prefer to die rather than defend themselves? You'd want that person off the jury. Uh, a lot of lawyers will tell you, oh, we're looking for a fair jury. No, no they're not. not. <laughs> no, they're <laughs> no, not. You're not. Yeah. And that was something, obviously, <laughs> you heard Jenna repeat that. She knew it was coming because that's a lesson I'm sure I imparted a long time ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're not looking for a jury. You want to get rid of the people who, of course, don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. You can convince, surprisingly, you can convince people, get on that jury, be on that jury. I want someone with your intellect. I want someone with your attention to detail. And so you, you find those person, like talking to someone in a coffee shop, you can find out about them, take the time to see what avenues, what thought processes that they will engage in that will help your case. So if I was a defense attorney looking for somebody to have a discussion about self-defense, I might have somebody who is assaulted. I might have somebody on that jury who is familiar with rules of engagement, like uh, the family of a police officer, or somebody at least 
who has experienced military service so that they can realize that, gee willikers, a gun that's about 15 degrees on its way to 10 degrees, 5 degrees, 0 degrees pointed at you, that you don't have to wait until it's pointed at you to take action. The, the other common sense thing, too, is you want these people to be uh, strong. You want them to have an intellectual strength, but more importantly, like Jenna mentioned earlier, a courage to stand up to the, the overall incorrect message of the media. The persons who are going to say, I'm going to set aside what it is that I've seen in the media. I'm not going to flip to my phone for answers. I'm going to listen to a judge. I'm going to listen to the evidence presented. And I'm going to take the time because a person who is there in that seat of the defendant is about to have a life-altering moment, whether or not we convict them. Right. Their life is forever changed. And so you want the juror who is going to pay attention. You want the juror who has a moral courage to stand up, even, even if the government was wrong. Stand up to the government. Even if the defense counsel is wrong, stand up to the defense counsel. Mm-hmm. You're there for your courage. And, and one of the things that you mentioned, Mike, I think is a really important point to say, you know, somebody, um, for example, if you're on the defense, you want to look for somebody with maybe, you know, a law enforcement or military background because they understand, you know, that sweep. That's a really critical point that I think a lot of people miss when you say, well, you have to get people who are totally unbiased and they come in without any preconceptions. Well, no, everybody has life experience and your life experience doesn't disqualify you from being a juror. What would disqualify you is if you have a bias as to this particular case. Those are things that you don't want. If you have people who are coming in on the jury saying, well, because of, so just, you know, for example, if this is a sexual assault case and you have someone who has been a victim of sexual assault and because of that trauma in their past, they just will assume or they tend to assume that everyone who is charged must be guilty. That's now, could they sit on another jury and be totally you know, fair and impartial as to the facts presented? Absolutely. They just would not be a good juror for this particular case. But when you have somebody who their life experience they bring in and they can bring in this understanding of reasonableness, they can look at the facts without any bias and say, you know what? Yeah. As you know, when you have that sweep, that makes sense. That's reasonable. Those are the types of people that you want. And so there's so much more complexity that goes into picking a jury than just, you know, let's get 12 people who've lived under a rock for their whole lives. And we're going to have to explain how, you know, a car works. We're going to have to explain that, you know, Hey, sometimes, you know, riots happened last year in 2020. Probably nobody knows that. Well, no, that's, that's, Um, that's so much into this, this kind of, um, synthetic and sterile environment that doesn't exist. So you're not looking for juries without past history or without any understanding of how the world works. You're looking for people who, because of their life experience can come in and say, as a jury of his peers, People who understand the real world can then look at the facts without any bias and can say, we're going to reach a a conclusion based on the evidence presented and the law as the judge has given it to me. Right. And that's really a great point to finish on, too, because the last thing a jury hears are the instructions. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I always teach folks and got taught myself as a young lawyer 
20 something years ago, uh, that you look to the instructions first because those instructions contain what we lawyers call elements, steps, if you will, instructions, uh, a guide for what constitutes self-defense. Now, once the issue of self-defense was raised, in other words, you had uh, some evidence that said a gun was pointed, a skateboard was swung and connected and was about to be swung again, or a person was about to kick or, you know, what have you, whatever those facts are that wind up finding their way into evidence at trial, the judge gives an instruction. And this is why the system works. The judge's instruction was probably something along the lines of, now that the defense has said there is self-defense and presented evidence of self-defense, the government must, must disprove that assertion of self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. The issue got raised. The government was not able to live up to the task of proving self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt, or rather disproving, disproving. it. Sorry, disproving. Yeah. So those are the things that I think your average citizen needs to take into account. When we have a jury sit down, they're given very common sense instructions yeah. that protect the defendant, but also protect the government's case. We got to give the system a chance. And that's why, you know, Mike, it, it is an adversarial system. You need competent counsel on both sides. Um, that's why trial is so important. Um, I've seen so many of the leftists on Twitter and mainstream media saying, you know, these these victims didn't get justice. Well, no, the whole point of a trial is to get justice. And when you have a competent jury that's hearing the facts and they issue findings based on the facts and apply the law, that's our system. And, you know, and one other thing you mentioned, Mike, um, as well, is that it's very important for people to understand that just because defense counsel wants to raise self-defense as an affirmative defense doesn't mean that they always get to. That's the other point in this, that once they present evidence that shows self-defense, then the government has to disprove that as a as an affirmative or, or justified action. And so um, so talk just really briefly about how that works in court as well. That so for example, if if this other guy, you know, out of Wisconsin, let's say that, you know, his counsel wants to raise self-defense, well they have to present evidence of it. And sometimes judges say, sorry, defense counsel, you can't raise this. Right. So what's gonna happen, and, and again this is kind of fall into the hypothetical because we don't have the facts. We're just going to assume some for the academic purpose of this discussion. So if, for example, we go back to our earlier comment of, well, what if there was a gunshot that rang out? What if there was something bullets hitting his car? Then the defense counsel would be able to put in evidence. How do they do that? Maybe it's photos of the car with the bullet holes. Maybe they put their um, defendant client on the stand and he says, I heard these gunshots. They rang out after me. I heard the snap of the bullet go by. That would be evidence. Even though it's words of the defense, defendant themselves, that would be evidence. Maybe there's a videotape we don't know about yet, right? Mm -hmm. This thing just Other witnesses. Yep. Other witnesses might be able to back that up. So once those are raised, then it winds up in the hands of the jury. And then the defendant receives the instruction because some evidence raise the specter of self-defense. 
And that's how it mm-hmm. works. Right. And so if the defense doesn't put that into evidence, they can't just claim self-defense willy-nilly. And exactly. that's the point. And so, so the bottom line, my friends, is that the law is complex for a reason. And you have people like Mike Melito who specialize in these things. And you have a trial. You have all of the pretrial stuff. You have all of the jury instructions. You have all of these arguments by counsel back and forth because these are precise issues that really do have a direct relationship to our rule of law and how we get to justice in this country. And so don't just go based on what Twitter is telling you. Don't go based on the mainstream media's narrative. Uh, Don't go based on, you know, what the colloquial definition of self-defense is in the public perception. You know, you need to know that these things, when we get to a court of law, it's vastly, vastly different than the court of public opinion. And so the reason that conservatives conserving our rule of law based in an understanding that our Constitution protects our rights, freedoms, and liberties, and chief among them is the right to life, and implicit in that is the right to self-defense that the Second Amendment also preserves and protects, we have to understand that based on our Constitution, our rule of law, we are conserving for a reason. That is so we individually can have an exercise freedom and liberty in this country. And that is a very critical thing to understand in the context of the court of law rather than just the court of public opinion. So don't jump to conclusions either way about what the mainstream media is speculating on with, you know, all this other stuff coming out of Wisconsin, you absolutely can defend and should defend the justice of the Rittenhouse verdict based on the evidence presented at trial. Do not put yourself in a position that we have to be on the defensive against any sort of speculation and comparison of what happened in Wisconsin. We don't have to be on the defensive and answer every stupid little thing that the mainstream media throws at us We defend the U.S. Constitution. Conservatives are conserving the rule of law, and we do that rationally, we do that reasonably, and we do that based on the rule of law, not all of these hypotheticals in the court of public opinion. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.